Good morning. It's great to be here with you this morning. Please turn in your Bibles to Philippians 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. In the Blue Pew Bible, that is page 981. And in the gray pamphlet, if you have one of these, it is page 16. And I am really glad to be here with you this morning and spending time in this passage. It is one of my favorites. Glad that we can do this together. Um, We are skipping ahead a bit from last week. Last week we were just at the end of chapter 1 in Philippians. But you will see that Paul is consistent in his message here in Philippians as he is encouraging the believers even in the face of suffering. So please follow along with me as I read. This is Philippians 3, starting in verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray for his, his guidance and his leading now. Father God, This is a great scripture as it talks about the direction that we should be pointing, the the target of our lives. Lord, open our eyes to that today. Open our eyes to the things that would lead us away from that. Speak to us through your Holy Spirit. We pray through Jesus. Amen. It was a clear, cool day in the fall of 1995. I was in the Marine Corps, and we were flying a mission over Bosnia as part of Operation Deny Flight. That was the time when Scott O'Grady had gotten shot down a few months prior, in June of that same year. He'd gotten shot down by a surface-to-air missile system, or a, or a SAM, type of system that uses a radar to find its aircraft and then shoot it down. Now, our mission was to hunt down those SAM systems and to knock them out of commission with our missile systems. 
So other, other type aircraft involved in this were F-18s and British tornadoes. The day before, my crew and I had been out there flying around and we'd found one. And we'd gone to shoot at it, but the harm missile had malfunctioned and, and did not work. But this was a new day. We were back and we were hoping to see our friend again. And then over the radio, we heard the word Magnum. Magnum being the code word for that certain type of missile system that will home in on the radars. Same kind of missiles that we had. Um, but obviously it was not us, and we had not seen any, any signals that would indicate that there was a SAM system operating. So we figured it must be much farther south where they were. But then as we flew around, we saw it. We saw the same signal we'd seen the day before. Our little friend was out there and operating we went through our procedures, we followed the rules of engagement, did everything right, found that true signal, and we engaged it and shot our missile at it. Uh, we were very excited about that. Now, as soon as we got back to base, we were immediately told that we needed to go see the general. And the tone did not sound good. So we were a little concerned. We thought maybe we'd made a mistake, maybe we'd shot at the wrong target. Maybe we'd hit something wrong. Maybe the missile malfunctioned. So we got to the general's office, and when we got there, the crew from the, from the, there was an F-18 crew that was coming out, and that had been the crew that had uh, called out Magnum earlier in the, in the flight. We'd heard them. But this crew did not look so happy. Uh, in fact, it was kind of a mixture of anger and, and tail between the legs kind of looked like they just got a whooping. Um, and, and we knew that we had to go into that same office. We knew that the general was not happy at that point, and we'd heard that the reason he was not happy and the reason the crew was in trouble was because they had shot their missile, not at a surface-to-air missile system, but at an air traffic control radar. They had followed the indications on their equipment. They'd seen a signal that was false, and they had believed that that was the true system, and they had fired at it. They had fired at the wrong target. Well, today, as we look at this scripture we're going to look at some things that can draw us away from the true target that, that we need to be pursuing. Um, and in this, Paul talks about it. You can see as we read through it, that knowing him is that target. Well, let's look into this now. First, as we go through this, we'll look at, at the wrong target. Let's, we'll go through it first. Say, what is the wrong target? What can lead us astray? Then we'll look at that right target of knowing knowing him, and then we'll uh, conclude, we'll look at some, some ways that will help us to do that. So first, the wrong target. Let's uh, look in verse 2 there, start reading there. It says, this is a warning from Paul to the Philippians. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Ooh. This is some intense language that Paul has going on here. And he is warning the Philippians about the Judaizers. Those who said that even uh, Christians, that, that Gentile Christians, must submit to the whole of the Mosaic Law, including circumcision. So you know that Paul had run into these men before, that he did not like them at all, that he saw them as a huge threat to the Gospel. And uh, he is not mincing words here. Um, scholars say that the Greek words here for dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh, those all start with the letter K, 
And so there's this kind of alliteration where Paul's really trying to grab people's attention and say, look out for them. Big warning here. And then there's a lot of irony here. And we see this throughout the passage. Irony, satire, Paul going back and comparing different things. Um, Dogs, the word dogs was actually, that word was used by the Judaizers against people who were unclean. Because dogs back then were not the nice little pet dogs that we have today. They weren't pets. They, were, um, they weren't like a golden retriever or a little white fluffy dog. They were scavengers. They actually would run around. They'd eat the roadkill or whatever thing. So if you've ever been to a third world country, you've probably seen these same kind of dogs, skin and bones, kind of running around eating the thing, eating, eating the roadkill and such. That's the uncleanness that the Judaizers use. And now Paul is calling... The Judaizers unclean. So let's keep going to see why he would be, why he would use that word. Next, evildoers. Um, here it's interesting that these people, these Judaizers, their righteousness was found, their satisfaction was found in doing good works. That in following all these laws, and if there were any mistake made, following up with some sort of sacrifice, the Mosaic law, that was their pride. That's the, the thing that they were most proud about. Now, Paul was taking that and calling them evildoers. So flipping that on, his head, on its head, as, as God does so often. And then mutilators of the flesh. This is, uh, scholars say it's a Greek word that's a play on words for the Greek word for circumcision. So they both kind of end in the same thing, kind of a rhyming thing, which we see circumcision right at the beginning of the next sentence. And so uh, Paul is taking something that's very near and dear to the Judaizers, this circumcision ritual that they have that they take such pride in and said that everybody should have to do. And he's flipping it on its head and calling it mutilating the flesh. Now why, excuse me, why does Paul consider these things that these men are doing so terribly bad that he would attack them in such this way? Let's let's keep going and and see if we can find evidence for that. So in verse 3, for we are the circumcision. Paul here saying, that the true believers are the true people of God. We are the true people of God, not the, not the uh, Judaizers. So the circumcision being the true people of God that the Judaizers thought that they were. So we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So we see that term, confidence in the flesh, that is a clue as to what Paul is is going to to hit on and what he sees as the badness, as, as the wrongdoing of these Judaizers. And he goes on, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. So four things right off the bat, that these things were inherited to Paul. But again, they are very valuable to the Judaizers. They would have looked up to them quite a bit. And Paul putting himself up there. Then he keeps going. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. So these three things now were things that Paul actually had to do on his own power, that he had grown up uh, doing these things and even calling himself blameless. 
which everybody knew that according to the, to the laws that, that he was, that he was actually one of the top dogs there of, of, of the Pharisees, of the, the Hebrew people. And um, um, there's, like, there's 613 laws in the Torah that he would have had to keep. Um, or if he didn't keep them, do, do whatever it took to make himself right again. And they knew that he had done that. So he's drawing that out and showing them that he has that, those reasons for confidence in the flesh. Now let's pause here for a minute and think about ourselves. And as I look, look out everybody here and think about our church in particular, think about um, this area of Southern Maryland. Do you think that we have reasons for having confidence in our flesh, in our, in our own strength, in our own capabilities? I look out here and I see great capabilities, great minds, great strength. Um, if you were reading your Bible, maybe it would jump out something like this. If anyone has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I am, or my spouse is, an officer in the Navy, graduate of test pilot school, or maybe a smart government worker, smart contractor, managing multi-million dollar programs, have good evaluations, good fit reps, able to hold a good job. My kids inherited my smarts and my good looks, so they're doing well. Is that, is that you? Or maybe uh, for our, our youth or our uh, younger adults, I'm young and I'm healthy, smarter by far than my parents. Uh, I have many years to go. I am an invincible. I am indestructible. I'm athletic. I'm talented. I'm quick-witted, smart, beautiful, all those things. Do we start hearing any of that in our own lives, in our own minds, as, as we talk through that about ourselves? With all this strong flesh, as he calls it, these capabilities, these strengths that we have, it's very easy to apply this strength as we try to find satisfaction in life. We, we do what we think is the right thing. We think through it. We're smart, right? We think through it and we do what we think is the right thing. And we do these good works because, well, they're, they're good and they will lead to good things, especially for me. Um, and if it's results that we're after, if we think that that's what will give us satisfaction in life is the results these good works, then this is very natural for us. And our sin nature takes over. And if we see a problem in our lives, it's very easy to jump in and say, okay, I need to analyze this problem. What is wrong? What's the weak spot here? Okay, I need to come up with some plans of action, some different options for myself to account for those things. So I'm coming up with my to-do list, things I need to do. Okay, I need to look at the risks that are involved and mitigate them, contingency plans, blah, 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 blah. And we do that in our own minds and in our own works. And that in and of itself is not necessarily bad. But having this strong flesh, the strong capabilities, can make it easier to chase the wrong target. Because we can create the fruit, the end results, without necessarily being rooted to the living water to the one who makes life worth living. And so we put our faith in our own capabilities instead of, um, well, to produce that fruit. And this is where we can chase the wrong target, where we can get detracted from that, 
the right target. We chase the results. We chase the good works or the good life that we think is good. And we make that our highest priority because we think that will satisfy. But that's not what God calls us to do. And that's not what Paul is saying here is most valuable. But let's look, let's go on and let's see how he categorizes those things. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Gain to loss is comparison. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So here the scholars say this is um, accounting language where we see Paul taking this gain and loss perspective on things. And the loss, the things that we would have naturally put in the gain column, our capabilities, our strengths, our good works, the things that we can do that look good on the outside, those things now, he's saying those are actually loss. They're not just neutral. They're actually a negative. They're causing me uh, liability or really they're moving me away from the right target, from moving in the right direction. They're, they're sucking me off on that. So um, we may think these things over here are awesome, but really they're small. They can be inconsequential. They can be uh, temporary. And many times they're saturated with our own selfishness um, because we want that satisfaction in our life and we want it bad for ourselves. In fact, uh, the, the prophets talk about how all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. It's not just saying our deeds, but our, our righteous deeds are like those filthy, nasty rags. Um, and, and even the rubbish, the word rubbish that Paul uses here, the scholars say this is the Greek word uh, for rubbish. It's, it's actually sort of a crude expletive. So you can imagine in our own language what word that might be used for this. So Paul very strongly, again, not beating around the bush, talking about these good works, these things that, that seem so good to us. And he's moving that from the gain over to the loss column. Not so good. The score is not looking good for us. Um, so let's, let's start talking about the right target and seeing what is the right target um, that we need to be moving towards. Let's read that again now, starting in verse 7. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And skipping down to verse 10. That I may know him. There that is again. And the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings. And we'll look at that in a minute. So what, is, what, does, what does Paul say here that is the gain, the real target that we need to be shooting for? It is knowing him. And that knowing is not just a, a head knowledge uh, of knowledge about him, about who he is. The Judaizers definitely would have had that knowledge. They would have studied it, had it memorized. What Paul's talking about here is relationship. 
is an intimate, personal relationship with God and that that is the right target. Um, and, and that relationship makes everything diminish in his life. If there's anything that gets in the way of that, now he is counting that as a negative, as something that's drawing him away. So the result, it's not the result that is the target. It's relationship is the right target. So now as we look at the gain loss column here, we've got these little things over here, but all of a sudden now we have relationship with God through Christ's righteousness. And that is huge. So all of a sudden now, over on the the gain side, we who are believers have this awesome gift that has been given to us. Before, if we had been led into a court, we would have been given the death penalty. Now as we are led into court, not only are we declared innocent, because of the sacrifice that was made. But we are also now restored in relationship in our reputation. As we would walk out of the court, our reputation now is not our own. Now we have Christ's righteousness on us. It's imputed or it's stamped on top of us. It covers us. So we are seen now with Christ's righteousness. Now that is, is a great encouragement to us. But it gets even better than that. If we walked out of here... We now have a new family. We have been adopted by this judge that could have condemned us. We're adopted into his family, and he's not just the judge, but he is the king. And along with that, wait, there's more. We are now given an inheritance as well. So we, uh, the riches just keep piling up over in this gain column. And now our bank account is full. So the biggest number that you could think of, whether it's a billion, I don't know if you all think a billion dollars is a lot, maybe a trillion, maybe a Googleplex. Um, whatever it is, it is huge. And that's what we are given. We have that inheritance as we are co-heirs with Christ. So, and let's, but let's keep looking. A little more description of this right target. This is something that, that uh, I learned this, this past couple weeks in, in looking at this. In verse 10 now, he continues on. He's, he's actually, it's kind of a lead on from... Um, the earlier verse, actually verse 8 and the first part of 9. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, then we skip down to 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings. What is, what is Paul talking about there? Well, here we have the resurrection. This power um, is, is that power that we get just a little bit of, of feeling from when we are first resurrected from the dead, where we are first brought into relationship and life with God. So I don't know if, you, if you're a believer, if you could remember that, um, that feeling of, of joy that came on when you knew that things were right now and we were in relationship with God. And there was that joy and that willingness to, to do anything for him. Or it's, it's every day it can be. As we engage with God in relationship in his word, through prayer, um, in fellowship with others and worship of him as we're energized and our life is made new. We've got that resurrection, new life that comes up into us. That's the power of the resurrection that Paul's talking about here. And it leads into the second one here, sharing in his sufferings. Uh, the Greek word there is koinonia, which you may have heard before. It's a more commonly used Greek word. It means fellowship. And... Um, so the fellowship of his sufferings. 
So, uh, speaking of suffering, does everybody remember from Pastor Nielsen's sermon last week, his different types of suffering that he talked about? Well, I won't point anybody out, but um, there is a few of them. Corrective, one that leads to compassion, the suffering that leads to conforming or becoming more like Christ, the instructive thing. But the one, <coughs> excuse me, that he mentioned, particularly in Philippians 1.29, was the blessing. The, the suffering that was granted to us. It was actually a privilege that he was talking about. And that's the suffering that he's talking about here. So the way I see that is uh, if you've ever been on a mission as part of a team, and as you go on that mission, something wrong happens, or there's, some, or there's a really hard trial that that team has to go through, whether it's uh, you know, a ropes course that you go through as, as part of team building exercise or real life type things where it happens. But as you come through that, as your fellowship or your group of friends goes through that suffering, on the other end you come out of that and your relationships are deeper. Or another, uh, another way to think of that is, is the fellowship of the ring. Uh, one of, the, one of the, the three stories in the trilogy that, that J.R.R. Tolkien wrote, the Lord of the Rings series. In that story, of course, there's a bad guy, the evil dark lord, and he had made this ring that was magical and had great power, and it had fallen into the hands of the good guys. And they knew they needed to destroy that. But to destroy that, they had to go into the bad guy's backyard, right behind his back, in order to destroy that. So they formed, they called it the fellowship of the ring. So we see this fellowship word where there were nine of them that were going, they pledged to each other that they would go through the hard times, through the suffering, even death, if they needed to, to make sure this ring was destroyed. And they did, as they went through that, their suffering, they did suffer quite a bit and their relationships deepened. And that's the suffering that we see here again. And it ties in with the power of the resurrection. As we go through this suffering, we learn about God more. As we get to know him more, we're, we're going towards that target. And our relationship with him deepens. And we have new life. We have resurrection in that relationship again. That makes us just want to go out and do things for him more. So we step out again and we go, may go through suffering again. But through that suffering, we know him more. We, our relationship with him deepens. And it's that cycle. And he, the rest of, of, of uh, this section here, where he talks about becoming like him in his death, so that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Any means possible, that resurrection, that new life in relationship. So we see that um, here, that in the, the target, the right target that we want to be pursuing in knowing him, that many times suffering will be part of that, and that is a blessing. So, how can we be sure that we are pursuing that? How do we choose and pursue that right target? Let's go back to verse 9. I'll read that here. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that depends on my own good works, that depends on how hard I try, that depends on what I do from day to day. No, it depends on faith. 
And what is faith? Faith is a belief in something, and particularly a trust in something, where you will step out and risk things for that. So that belief and trust. And in this case, what is the faith dependent on? Is dependent on the gospel. The gospel being the good news. The good news that God, the great God who created all things, created us in his image for relationship with him. And though even though we turned away from that, from our original design and intent and purpose, um, even though we turn away from that to seek ourselves, that he pursues us. The good news is that he does not leave us on our own. He does not leave us as orphans, but pursues us to draw us back into family and adopt us into his family. And with that is great hope. We can turn to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And as you're turning there, I'll just start reading. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. So there he's already he's talking about works. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And it goes on. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So our belief, our faith is in not that we need to do good works. We have been saved through faith and grace. Our salvation is through believing this. But it's, it's a gift of God. It is not our works. Actually, our works were be, uh, prepared beforehand for us, for us to walk in, to journey along with Jesus on this relationship with him as we know him. Not for us, not that they are the end in and of themselves, that we do these things for ourselves but we do them as part of relationship with him. And he has actually prepared them as a gift for us. I think that's beautiful. Now another part of this, um, and this is, this is the hard part, but we, we do this every worship service. And we should be doing this multiple times a day, is, is the repenting side of it. Is coming to him with a repentant heart. Understanding that we, just in ourselves, our sin nature that taints everything, leads us to try to do those good works not for the right reasons, not as we are going in pursuit of the right target, but as we are in the pursuit of our own righteousness and gaining that. So each day we need to make sure that we are coming to him and repenting and seeking him in, in, with true motives. And we will continually battle that but that is part of that journey. It's part of that suffering that helps us develop that relationship. So, how can we do that? What are some really practical things in doing that? Of course, each day, spending time with God, praying with Him specifically for faith, specifically for belief. I think that is so important. Um, and then meditating on the gospel and what that is and how that applies to all of our lives. The fact that we were made to be with God, but we are, have turned away and have this total depravity that we have to deal with. And that God is this God who is perfect, the creator of all things. And no unperfectness can stand with him at all. There's no way that we can do that on our own, except that what we have gained through our faith in Christ, that righteousness that is given to us, 
in the fact that we have that. We have, we have to do nothing for that, that we do have that, and believing that and going to him as, as our father. So meditating on that each day, think, um, discussing the gospel with each other. Uh, we need each other. We need to be in relationship with each other. So as we, as we meet, as we talk, um, would it be absurd to ask each other, hey, how is your selfishness doing today? Um, or, or how has the gospel affected you today? Although we get one of those churchy words in there, and that can be a little obscure. So how is the good news affecting you today? Or uh, how has Jesus' love changed your mind today? As, how has it transformed your life today? How have you had resurrection in your life today? Are you seeking out that kind of suffering? Those sorts of things. We need each other to encourage each other in this. Um, another way is through microgroups. This is actually some structure at Cornerstone that uh, we started last year at a very, in, a, in a very intentional way. It had been going on kind of grassroots. But we have a list of, of questions. Microgroups are essentially like three, four, five people in a group. Use, uh, they're single gender. And the purpose of them is to really open up and be honest and to hold each other accountable and to encourage each other. So I would encourage you to get involved with that, even if you're in a, a small group Bible study, which is great, but maybe even breaking apart in that for microgroups. If men are interested, Jay Thomas is here. You could talk to him, our men's ministry team leader. Um, women, talk with someone in the women's ministry team. Um, youth, microgroups are coming to the youth group, so be ready for that. Some other ways, we have the Sonship Study, which starts up after the new year with Pastor Nielsen's sonship. Um, that's really good for encouraging this. Of course, reading in our, in our word, the Psalms are a great way to, to get to know God, to look at who he is, his attributes and who he is. Uh, the Gospels, again, uh, or of course, would be good, where we see Jesus being God on earth. So look at, read the Gospels and look at Jesus and his personality and who he is. Imagine walking alongside of him and what that would be like. Um, of course, a, a good book in learning to know God is called Knowing God uh, by J.R. Packer. That is a classic, great one. And a classic in my family's library now is the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, I've got a copy of it up here. It's a little ragged if you want to look at that. Um, even though it's written for kids, I've really enjoyed that. Um, just understanding the gospel in fresh ways. And Sally Lloyd-Jones wrote that, and she wrote another devotional called Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing. Uh, that's also a good one, which I have up here if you'd like to see that. So in conclusion now, after seeing the F-18 crew limping out of the general's office, we were a little concerned as we walked in. We weren't sure what we were walking into. But the first thing the general asked was, did you hit the right target? Did you hit the right target? That's what he was most concerned with. That was his highest priority. Fortunately, as we explained what we had done, we could come away from that saying, yes, we did go after the right target. We did engage that target. So our departure, I'm glad to say, was a little more graceful than the previous crews that had come out of there. And I know as I use that word picture of target, that that may, is, is my, maybe not the best. Maybe goal is, is better. Because target, you know, can you actually hit the target and finalize that? Or once you hit the target, then what? But look in the next verses in Philippians. 
especially 12 through 14, you can see that, that Paul goes on and he talks about uh, chasing a goal. Not that I have already obtained this, but that I press on to make it my own. Forgetting what lies behind, those, those things in the loss column that we continually have to put behind us. I press on towards the goal, the target of knowing God, of being in that intimate relationship with him. That is the true target. May we truly believe that everything is a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing him, of being in that intimate, personal relationship with him. May we not trust in our own efforts, as the Judaizers tried to push people to do, as our own sin nature pushes us to do each day, particularly with the capabilities that we have. But I pray that we would trust not in our own works, but in the eternal work that Jesus did for us, our rescuer who came and gained us adoption into the family of the King. Let us believe that. Let us pursue the target of knowing him every day. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you give us this wisdom, that you make it clear to us that knowing you is the right target, is, is what we want to move for every day, what we want to shoot for every day. Lord, open our eyes to the sin in our lives that draws us away from that, whatever it may be. And Lord, we thank you for your unrelentless love that draws us into that, that draws us to know you. We know that your promise is true, that you will continue to draw us into that now and forevermore as we believe through Jesus and have faith in him. Pray this through Jesus and for his glory. Amen.